going on? Jermaine Johnson, tune in to Turn On The Jets podcast. Hey, this is Vinny Pasquantino of the Kansas City Royals. Make sure you tune into the Turn On The Jets podcast. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Turn the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Will Parkinson, at WillPod11 on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Off-season edition, Aaron Rodgers stuff in full steam. We're going to get to Nate Hackett getting hired by the Jets yesterday um, in a little bit, but joined by special guest today, Ben Fennel, uh, you know, NFL and CBS, NFL Network, um, draft coverage, game day stuff, working with Ian and Charles weekly. How's, uh, how's everything going, Ben? Everything's great. Uh, you know, kind of double dipping right now. Uh, one leg in a draft season, one leg still hanging on to the NFL playoffs over, over there. I do some work with the Philadelphia Eagles, so we'll see if our season can uh, extend a couple extra weeks here. But it's a great time of the year. You know, most of the league, 28 teams, have turned the page and are looking ahead to next year. A few stragglers obviously want that trophy, but willing to talk conversation about draft or playoffs or uh, offseason moves. It's a fun time in the NFL. Yeah, no, it's, a, it's an exciting time and, you know, I'll get your prediction. Obviously, I know you're probably a little biased, but I think we're going to end up with Eagles Bengals. It's what I'm feeling right now. And, uh, you know, Burrow had no old uh, the stuff around the Bengals. You know, Patrick Mahomes being 0 4 against Burrow would be certainly something. But <clears throat> I want to start with obviously the biggest news in Jets' world right now is they hired Nathaniel Hackett yesterday, uh, something that I'll get into the timing of it. It got reported a couple of days ago that essentially it was his job if he wants it. Then all of a sudden, the Rogers stuff could be traded, gets floated. All of a sudden, Nate Hackett, who's already ahead, making millions, sitting on the beach, is now the Jets' offensive coordinator. I guess initial thoughts, and we'll get into quarterback in a minute, but initial thoughts on Hackett, because last year's a disaster, and I'm not throwing that to the side, but I don't think his whole career has not been a disaster. So where do you kind of land on the Hackett hiring? You know, he's a tough one to kind of decipher. You know, he had his success in Jacksonville, uh, you know, 2016, 17, with that Blake Bortles, Leonard Fournette team that went to the AFC Championship was obviously a run-based team, a very defensive team. And we all know Bortles had his struggle as a quarterback, uh, but we're still pretty successful as a team. Move on to the Green Bay era, where the offense is a slight influence of his and a major influence of Matt LaFleur. So it's tough to kind of deviate and try to pick apart what his influences were. Um, I think it was, a, you know, it was a melting pot and a think tank out there with offensive minds. So he was certainly involved, and it was certainly nice to have an Aaron Rodgers at the quarterback position of his disposal to run that offense. And it looked pretty good for two, three seasons out there in Green Bay. And I don't know what to make of this past season with the Denver Broncos. So obviously their injury bug out there was brutal, losing Garrett Bowles, losing Javante Williams, absolute shell of themselves and what they expected. Brutal injury to Tim Patrick in the summer. So they were already working with a hand behind, tied behind their back, not to mention a new quarterback, new system. I just think there are a lot of things working against them. I hate to see the one-and-done coaches, whether that's the, you know, Steve Wilkes in Arizona. I know it's so crazy that he was just the intern and seeming like he's one-and-done again. But, um, you know, you look at Zach Taylor with the Bengals. He went 2-14 and 14 his first season. Ended up with the number one overall pick, you know, and got Joe Burrow. You know, he should have been on that hot seat as well little patience with these coaches. You spend a lot of time and resources to acquire them, and then you're so quick to get rid of them. So I think you need to kind of commit to yourself and commit to the reason that you hired them in the first place. And Nathaniel Hackett is a good coach. He didn't become a bum play caller or a bum offensive mind in one season. So there's a lot of things that play in Denver. I give him the benefit of the doubt, and I'm looking to uh, better times ahead with the Jets. 
Yeah, look, I think there's a couple of things. One, you know this, I know this. Some guys are not meant to be head coaches. It's an right. unfortunate reality. Sometimes, you know, Robert Sala's talked in depth. I talked about in this podcast quite a few times that Robert Sala said year one, he struggled a lot with, I don't get to watch any film right now. I'm not able to be in every single meeting because I'm doing media. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I'm working on administrative stuff that takes up hours of your day that you just don't account for. And then clock management challenge, clock management challenges, when to go for it, when not to go for all these different things. When guys are, are kind of siloed as offensive coordinators for such a long time, well, you mentioned he was in Buffalo, you know, first of all, he, other than Rogers, he's had some pretty putrid quarterback play. And I know yeah. that's always, you don't want to always use that, but EJ Manuel and Blake Bortles being the stars that you've had, you know, outside Rogers, it's not exactly, um, you know, fantastic. But again, there was so much going on in Denver. I'm not excusing it. He was, he was a very bad head coach and should they have probably given it more time? Yeah. But the, the situation was a mess. I just think that it's a middle of the road offensive coordinator hire that becomes a really good hire if they get Aaron Rodgers and if they end up with Jacoby Brissett, this whole staff's probably getting fired in six months anyway. So it's like, I don't want to make too big of a deal out of it, right? Like, yeah, and it's also to. it's also a lesson for this cycle and that we're so excited about the Shane Steikens and the Ben Johnsons and oh, what about Lou Anaruma and D'Amico Ryan's? I got news for you: not every successful coordinator is going to be a rock star head coach, and especially not right away. So as much as they look exciting before you take them out of the package, buyer beware on a lot of these guys. And I applaud a guy like Ben Johnson, who he's 36 years old. He's called plays for one season in the NFL. He went on a couple of interviews and I think he realized, I think I'm a little in over my head right now. Let me go back. Let me keep building with the lions and what a great self, you know, a, a little bit of humility and kind of self-reflection to say, slow down a little bit. We don't all have to be Sean McVay's go right to the head coach and, get put right on the mountain, a little patience, you know, being offensive coordinator in the NFL is not a bad gig. So, you know, a little bit of patience and slow down with these career paths. Lou Anaruma, sure. He's 55 years old. He's been in this league for, you know, 10, 20 years, but a guy like Ben Johnson and Shane Steikens, impressive offensive minds, but buyer beware on their transition to head coach, not saying it will or won't work. It's just that gray area of the unknown. Yeah. Look, and the one thing I think you point to, if you, if you're the Jets, Yes, we're, I'm going to get to Rogers thing in a second, but the biggest the biggest thing that you know he contributed it seems like from everything you hear and anyone you talk to in Green Bay is the quote unquote gold zone. We everyone remembers it, and oh, the gold stuff. They were the best red zone team in, in 20 years um, in the NFL in 2020. I believe they 80 percent of their drives in the red zone were touchdowns, which is ridiculous. The Jets were have been a really bad red zone team for a long time. Obviously, we don't have good quarterback play. This is what happens. But at the same time, you know, Michael Flores running 18 different versions of trick plays just to get something in the red zone two years ago this year kind of felt like he got away from that and, and they struggled. My point is, if they can improve in the red zone and you get a big jump at quarterback play, the hire is worth it. Again, this job was not a super desirable job. They don't have a quarterback in place. And if the only quarterback that's on the roster for sure next year is a guy that if you have to try to rebuild Zach Wilson and that's your job, not sure that's a desirable job with a team on the hot seat. Um, I want to get a to great the, setup, yeah, Will, because yeah. to me, go heading into the offseason, it's 90% focus on the quarterback, 10% on the person calling plays, designing plays, coordinating plays. So I know so much of this conversation is, well, let's change the guy, you know, Zach Wilson's boss, and let's hope Zach Wilson changes. I just think that's the wrong mindset. And I think he needs to be put under the microscope. And I've gotten some criticism for this. I like Matt, uh, Michael Flores' offense. And I don't think that was the problem. I don't think he was the indictment. I think he was the one that had to kind of scapegoat and fall on the sword for the lack of offensive efficiency and cohesion. 
But I think when that backup quarterback comes into your system and operates, it's a huge reflection on coaching, not just Mike White, but around the NFL, whether that's Nick Foles a few years ago, whether it's Brock Purdy right now, when your backup has to come in, that's a huge reflection on your scheme and your coaching. And I just think when backups come in and operate, it lets you know the scheme works when it's run properly. And I thought that was a great little flash and a little bit of taste of, wow, this is what a functional quarterback can look like in this system. Maybe the system isn't broken. So I think it's just an interesting complex for Jet fans and that Jet coaching staff and the Jet front office to figure out where are the problems and who's creating them. Yeah, I'm, I'm on the same page as you look. I, I think that opening scripts-wise, Michael Floor could have used some help red zone-wise. But between the 20s, I thought he did a really nice job. Every coordinator is a little impatient with the run. I think that's just the trend around the NFL. It's difficult and, and whatever. But between the injuries at offensive line, again, yep. you know, the quarter. Yeah, I applaud play. the season. Yeah, with yeah. the injuries, the young Brees Hall. And, I mean, they geared up that old line. They knew they needed help. They spent a lot of money, and it did not go to plan. And they tried to figure it out, and they moved some pieces around. And I applaud the effort. And, you know, I was impressed with, you know, uh, how Lakin Tomlinson played down the stretch and maybe a McGovern and, you know, to see a Dwayne Brown hop in and still be a serviceable left tackle in this league. And do I agree with paying George Fant that much money and the Mackay Beckton situation and Barrett Tucker's, you know, obviously a, a brutal loss in that offensive line, but it wasn't for lack of trying and it wasn't for lack of producing even, even because of it. So, you know, when I look at that Jets team, I have all sorts of issues on the whiteboard. Offensive coordinator really wasn't near the top of this. Yeah, I, we'll see what happens. I, I think it's a good transition to obviously the elephant in the room, which is Aaron Rodgers, right? And, and my kind of stance on it, I've been very clear, no matter what show, no matter what radio station I've been on the last week, I think you do whatever it takes to get Aaron Rodgers here. The con, the cap hit, everything, I'm just going to go through a quick thing, and then I want your take on the Rodgers situation and what makes sense. The only sure. thing that really matters is does Aaron Rodgers want to play football in 2023 and does he want to play football in New York, right? Like I think the Packers, it seems like are pretty, pretty okay with, with moving on at this point. They need to get some type of valuation on Jordan Love. I think that's pretty obvious. And if Rodgers wanted to come back and, and they figured out the money, I'm sure that they'd make it work. But I think it's probably best for both sides to move on. Rodgers does not sound like a guy who wants – he's in full FU Aaron Rodgers mode. You hear him on, on Tuesday. And you can't read too much into Rodgers. Again, he's a guy that's very cryptic, and there's always a reason why he says things. But he said in terms of how much he still loves the competition, he said, I've, it's a full fuck yeah. Like, that was his direct quote. And that, to me, doesn't seem like a guy who's ready to go walk away and play golf. Um, when it comes to the Jets' perspective, everyone obsesses over the $60 million, the $110 million over the next two years. 48 of that million is cap hits. The rest of it's straight liquid cash out of Woody Johnson, whoever the owner's pocket is. They sign Aaron Rodgers a check. So if Woody Johnson is on the record saying he'll spend whatever it takes, there's no excuse there. And I know they got the two first rounders were floated by Peter King and the Jets would willingly spend for that. Peter's fantastic. And this is not anything. Teams float all the time prices they'd have for players. At the end of the day, that doesn't mean you're going to get that price, right? So um, I think it's more of a day two uh, you know, a day two pick this year and probably a conditional one if he plays next year. And a 39-year-old Aaron Rodgers, fully healthy with a really good tough defense and a, like a tough mindset team, not a Packers team that pretended they were tough and get punched in the <laughs> mouth every time Every time they play a physical team. They're a little different. Rodgers motivated the whole thing. Does it make sense for the Jets? And if you're Aaron Rodgers, is that the most, I guess, I don't know if lucrative destination, but it seems like the best situation Vegas Eh, Titans, the roster's more of a mess than people realize. 
Yeah, you know, a lot to unpack here. I cover the Packers quite a bit. Um, my mom's from Green Bay, grew up a Packers fan, worked for the Athletic for a few years, for even Packers Breakdown. That's really where my whole Twitter identity came from, is talking about the Packers. So uh, I have a lot of different ideas and thoughts. So a few things. Absolutely should the Jets consider this. Yes, I think they have a strong roster and are quarterback away from contending and competing. So going out of veteran, whether it's uh, Aaron Rodgers or – Maybe, unfortunately, I have to settle for a Derek Carr, or Ryan Tannehill, one of those types. I don't think are bad contingency plans or obviously the Jimmy G fits and things like that are still going to be thrown around. Aaron Rodgers, absolutely competitive, wants to play, but is so arrogant, will never allow you to know what he's thinking. So he's always going to play that coyness of not allowing or showing his cards or letting you know what direction he's going to go. So I'd imagine this saga will bleed on for a little bit and he'll drag it out. It's a little exhausting, you know, especially after the whole Favre era before this. Um, the contract, insane contract. One of the worst contracts Green Bay's ever given out, one of the worst quarterback contracts in the NFL right now. Why did they do that? Well, when they traded up and took Jordan Love, that's when Aaron Rodgers said, I guess my future is not in my hands anymore. If you trade up for a quarterback in the first round, all intents and purposes, you're pointing to your successor. Well, he wasn't the successor. He just came off a back-to-back MVP seasons, and Jordan Love is not better than Aaron Rodgers to succeed him. Well, now Aaron Rodgers didn't have any leverage. You need to then give him leverage back. So you then kind of made him happy and said, no, your future is in Green Bay, which then makes the Jordan Love situation very interesting. And what the purpose of that pick was is a whole nother conversation. So I think it was kind of a make good for Aaron Rodgers and the team. It was deserved. It was a little bit of back pay for the MVP seasons and a little bit of, hey, please stay around. You're our quarterback until until, you know, otherwise noted. So um, that's all the kind of off the field. Now, what happened with Aaron Rodgers this year versus previous years? I've called Aaron Rodgers a game managing MVP. That's what he was under Matt LaFleur. That was a system with a foundational run game committed to the run game. There was balance, there was play action, RPOs, misdirection, loved motion, loved scheming guys open with stacks and bunches. All he had to do was point and shoot and be a distributor. And when he had Aaron Jones and, you know, Devontae Adams and weapons like that and MVS, it was easy. He was picking you apart and defenses didn't know where you're going to be attacked. And it looked pretty good this year. They didn't replace the offensive talent. Everybody knows the learning curve of young players, particularly skilled players take some time. We went through that with Devontae Adams. They want to run this guy out of town his first year or two. He was so bad. So you know there's a learning curve. Way too much emphasis on the young guys, Christian Watson, Romeo Dubs, Sammy Watkins' veteran contract was a disaster. Offensive line talent, I think people don't realize, is very subpar. There's some players on this team like Josiah DeGuara, A.J. Dillon, that I don't think are NFL-level playmakers. So there's a lot of issues with this Packers team. And as you had injuries and the offense not producing – that then bled a little bit from Matt LaFleur's system into what Aaron Rodgers wanted to do. What Aaron Rodgers wants to do is hold the ball, hold the ball, and let him be a distributor and make things out of nothing. That's where his career really started to go in the downfall in 2017, 2018. Then he got a system back in with LaFleur, and it looked great. So I look forward to him being back in that system with a great run game. Um, and it was a lot of the things the Jets did last year with Michael LaFleur. I think Aaron Rodgers will look great in that system. Tons of weapons, commit to the run game. Um, and I think he would have been a much better executor of that offense than Zach Wilson and probably would have looked a little Mike Whitish.
Yeah, look, I think there's a couple of things. Asking, I mean, obviously, you know the Packers better than most people. But I was asking a couple of people that cover the Packers or, or played against Rodgers last year, some other players. They said the the YOLO ball um, kind of craziness maybe is the, what the, is the more washed part in terms of, like, it's not as consistent as it used to be. Um, but the ability to be accurate, like, he'd have broken, you know, thumb on his throwing hand. That's, that's a pretty – I don't think anyone that does never, if you try to throw a football with a broken, without your thumb, it, it doesn't really work that well. Um, I also think that the off season was a mess. I don't think they, they're, I think the Packers and Rodgers are on two different timelines at the moment. I think they missed their window. Again, that was why the whole trade up for Jordan Love was such a weird move was they were, they were coming off an NFC title game and, you know, all of a sudden it's like they got Rodgers back and he got, you know, he got two MVPs the next back. It's just like they used the title window to draft yeah. a running a running back that doesn't start and a quarterback that that's played one or two games. So for the Jets, it makes sense. I guess my question would be, you know, you kind of detailed a little bit, like what's the Jets ceiling theory? I mean, obviously we don't know what else they were going to do this offseason, right? Rogers cap hit. If he's traded, it's like 15 million or so. It's pretty crazy that Zach Wilson's cap hits almost as high as Aaron Rodgers next year in terms of like how he affects the team. It's an albatross of a contract, <laughs> but you know, obviously the Jets can, they're going to have to add it safety offensive line and we'll get into the senior bowl stuff in a little bit. Um, but you know, what is, I guess what's their ceiling look like with a guy like Aaron Rodgers playing quarterback, you know, versus, you know, the seven win team this year, probably eight or nine win team with a good quarterback. Can they compete with the Buffaloes of the world for the AFC East? If, if Aaron Rodgers is, 85% the 2021 and 2020 Aaron Rodgers? I mean, I might get some eye rolls. I think if Aaron Rodgers is on the Jets this year, they are a Super Bowl contending team. Like, and, and that is a huge indictment on Zach Wilson. I'm not, uh, like, I don't understand the apologists, the trying to protect him. I have no stake in the game. I put on the film and give my thoughts. Zach Wilson was atrocious this year. And in some of those were wins. You know, going to Green Bay and blowing the doors off the Packers, Zach Wilson played like shit, you know, and you, I just think it's amazing how poorly he played and how great this Jets roster was, how well they wins. played on defense, no question. Um, so to answer your question, yeah, I think they're a contending team next year with a, a competent quarterback. I think they're a Super Bowl contender with an elite quarterback or a franchise quarterback. So I think you need to figure that out and, you know, I think teams make mistakes. Teams evaluate wrong. Teams learn once they make a decision. That's part of the draft and young players and the unpredictability of this league. When are you willing to say, I made a mistake? That's what's different from everybody. So the Johnny Manziel's, we made a mistake. When do you get out of it? You know, Howie Roseman here in Philly, one offseason, we spent a lot of money on DeMarco Murray and Kiko Alonso and Byron Maxwell, we got out of it in one year. So, you know, we gave Carson Wentz $100 million. The relationship went to crap. We got out of it in a few months. When do you get out of your mistakes? And unfortunately, I think Zach Wilson was a mistake at this point. When do you see, you see the writing on the wall and say, let's fix this and get out of this? So I think that's the kind of conversations going on right now. Listen, you don't want to bury the kid. I root for him. Please prove me wrong. Fix your career. Become a Hall of Famer. You know, I root for you. But there's some honesty you have to have with yourself as well. Uh, and I think with the Aaron Rodgers thing, always remember, there's a human element to it as well. There's a guy that went through a pretty messy, you know, breakup with his, uh, you know, his uh, engagement falling apart. You know, I think we know what Brady went through this year. 
these guys are people too. And I know we don't always view them as people. These celebrities are kind of, you know, unreal presences in, in the world, but they are human beings. And I know we hold on to these godly standards. That stuff off the field matters. And I don't know where it matters, when it matters, how much it matters, but it does matter. And, you know, I just always want to give out the benefit of the doubt to say, don't forget about all the other stuff he has going on as well. Yeah, look, it, it's looking, um, you know, there's a couple of things. Michael Floor just got hired as the Rams offensive coordinator officially as we oh, speak. Nice. Um, so good for him. He will probably be a head coach in two years. Did they have a this... pre-existing relationship? Uh, I know him and Matt did. I don't know that him and McVay, I guess maybe through Kyle, like yeah. it's like an osmosis thing where like, probably got some time around um kyle you know when he was around sean but um so good for him he's going to be a guy that's gonna be able to rebuild his kind of stock around the league obviously his stock's pretty high if he gets the rams offensive coordinator job under a guy like sean McVay, you look at kevin o'connell amongst a million other guys zach taylor that have figured it out and not necessarily quote-unquote called plays on their own Hey, i love the system love the two back stuff they worked in last year the pony sets love the motion love the rpos love the play action shot plays design movements the commitment to the run game kind of waned a little bit as the talent at the running back position was up and down the old line. I like the system and it's not too far from Matt's that we saw generate, you know, back-to-back MVPs there in Rogers. Yeah. Look, I, I wanted to kind of just get to that. You mentioned a couple other names, I guess, you know, it kind of comes down if the jets don't get Aaron Rodgers, if it seems like, look, the Lamar Jackson thing, the jets would hundred percent be involved. I just don't see, at the end of the day, I, I've called it this way. It's lipstick on a pig. Like until the Ravens pay him, nothing matters, right? Like they can get, they can tell Lamar he's doing all these different things until they give him the money he was looking for. It's not going to happen. That said, similar to how the Packers don't want to trade Aaron Rodgers within the NFC, I just have a hard time believing. Although the Ravens have done some stuff that, um, you know, I don't think but anyone else would be getting credit for paying a linebacker and safety top of market value and drafting a safety in a center in the first round and all that different stuff. Like, not sure I'm a huge fan of all of that stuff, but it just to see them, you the Jets have to overpay so much to get Lamar here. It just feels like that's probably the most unrealistic of these, these quarterbacks. Obviously a 25 year old, 26 year old MVP would be a great fit anywhere. It's Derek Carr, Jimmy G, Tannehill. It just kind of feels like those are the names if the Jets miss on Rodgers. And it kind of puts a premium on why you kind of have to hit on Rodgers. Is There's the a couple best? offbeats in there as well. Like, don't yeah. forget about the Jacoby Brissett's of the world, the Jameis Winston's Gardner of the world. Minshew. The, the Minshew's of the world. Those are going to be the kind of stop gaps to get you. If you don't land one of those prize horses, that'll probably be the stop gap to get you to next year, or figure out your future from there. So there's a couple other guys as well to definitely consider. Yeah, it just, it's going to be interesting, I think. Well, similar to the way I said, like, if the Jets land Rodgers this offseason, everything else you do, this staff is probably around longer than 2023. If you miss on him and you end up with a stopgap option, there's a good chance that someone's going, oh, I'll take this defense and, you know, and the quarterback need and Sean Payton all of a sudden is the guy that, you know what I mean? Like if he doesn't get the Arizona job, there's just, I just think this is a very much, this team can go win now. You said it yourself. So yep. I kind of want to transition just to a couple guys this offseason from either the Jets perspective or guys that I think the Jets could bring in. You know, we talk, we've both talked about Bryce off a lot. What is like, what does it look like for him in terms of either an extension? What do you do with a guy like Bryce off? Because I know he's a situational player, but he's by far the most effective pass rusher. It's one of the most effective pass rusher, pass rushers per snap in the league. And he's, you know, he's been on an unrestricted, he's been on a UDFA contract. So it's like, yeah. it's, I, I tweeted out a second round tender to me kind of feels right. 
feels like you're not going to lose them, but at the same time, the 4 million bucks is probably proper value. Is that what you do with them or you try to give them no long-term extension? It's just hard with the money, I feel like, for that kind of guy. Yeah, I think a third round is maybe a little bit more appropriate there, but you're in the right ballpark. Those situational players are really tough. We see them bounce around the league all the time. You know, I almost want him to test the waters and go get himself to a playoff team contender that just needs a, you know, a pass rusher on third down. So that there's a need, there's a value. I would hate to see him go to a team trying to come on the up because the situational players on those types of fits are a little tougher. You ask more out of them. I don't want him playing on early downs. Um, I think you have to change the scheme up just a little bit, but we've seen guys like Hassan Reddick and Jannard Avery's in the world, you know, succeed, but look at the way Josh Uchi is used, uh, you know, with the Patriots, very similar. Also their best pass rusher, I guess outside Matthew Judon, but the Jets do have, you know, Carl Lawson and Quinnen and some other guys too. So as long as you can go six, seven deep on that Jets front and Bryce doesn't have to be an early down, you know, presence on the edge, I think that's okay. So I think it's managing his expectations and role. And that's a compliment to, you know, what else is in your defensive line room? I don't know what the situation is with some of the other vets and John Franklin Myers and guys like that, but Michael Clemens looked pretty good as a youngster. I'm excited for Jermaine Johnson in year two. I wouldn't overspend on a situational player, um, but if he likes being there and, you know, he likes the role and he likes Sala, I could see him kind of hanging out for a discount. Yeah, look, there, there's, I know he, I know him, guys like him, Sheldon Rankins have said, you know, they want to be here. There'll be guys that the Jets should bring back. And it's just a matter of the price point, obviously. And, you know, what they feel like their value is. They both are coming off, obviously, nice seasons, different points in their career. But I wonder what, like, Bryce views as himself. Like, you know, what's his self-reflection on? No, put me in on first. Down. I can play the run. He wants man. to I play, play early down. So I can tell you he wants to I would, play early I would downs. find it hard to believe a, a professional and a competitive presence wouldn't want the opportunity and the challenge but there's some guys that just like hanging back and shooting threes too. You know, they don't always want to go out and play defense and lock down in under two minutes. Just let me be the perimeter guy and that situational player. And there's a role and a value for that. Just always want to know the mindset of those situational players. If they want more to do or no, just let me come in and do what I do. I think, you know, I, talking to him a little bit, I think he wants to be a guy that is an early down player, but I think he also understands like the role he can come in at. I just think, he did well, like analytically against the run. I just don't know that. I think his, you know, his, he ended up with back injuries both years, I think, from playing a lot of those snaps. So I guess it's a fine, yeah. that fine line. And it's on the Jets to kind of do that. I'm curious on, on two other players just on, internally for the Jets. Carl Lawson's one of the guys you mentioned. The Jets are going to bring in a big time quarterback. They're likely going to have, they're going to have to create some cap space no matter what. And Carl's a guy that produced this year. Um, but $15 million a year player, injury history pretty much every other year. I think he's a restructure or you cut guy, unfortunately. Um, am I crazy there? I, I know it's unfortunate for a team that always could use more pass rush, but $15 million off your off your books is $15 million off your books. Again, what you are wanting out of him is a reflection of your defensive line room. And when you have guys like Michael Clemens and John Franklin Myers and Bryce Huff and some interior presence, and you're going six, seven, eight deep, and suddenly Carl Lawson's like, in the middle of the pack of QB pressures. If he was on a thin defensive line room and he had to be the guy and ended up the season with 40, you know, plus pressures and was the leader in the clubhouse. Yeah. You got to bring him back. Cause he's the guy, but he's quickly just an average guy in that group. And that's not necessarily a disparity to Carl Lawson. Who's a good player. It's just a really deep room. So I'm not overspending on the guy when I can get some young talent, young production, um, cheaper production, and maybe allocate those resources elsewhere on the roster. I think that's a that's a good problem to have for the Jets. 
to say, you know, hey, we don't have to overspend on a loss and to bring him back. We can, you know, go cheap and get good production and start putting that money elsewhere. And I think those are the the good, luxurious uh, situations and decisions to make. Almost like putting the writing on the wall to Lawson to say, hey, man, you got to take a pay cut if you want to come back. You know, yeah. we can roll six, seven, eight deep as far on the D line, and we're okay with that. We're not going to give you 15 million. Uh, obviously, Quinnen's, you know, earning some coin, and we have to pay some other guys here and there. Um, so I think, the, again, Sheldon Rankin, similar type of conversation. Yeah, look, it's, it's just a, it's a tough conversation to have. And I know Carl's beloved there and, and everything, but there's just – Great it's, guy. It's a, it's and it business. was the right move at the time. Yeah, it was the right move at the time, absolutely. It just – you don't know how much – you know, I know he's coming off the Achilles and everyone always says, but, you know, some guys come back and they're great and some guys don't ever fully get back and it's an unfortunate injury. The other, the other one I kind of want to ask you about is two guys, two of the receivers, uh, Braxton Barris and Corey Davis – I think everyone's kind of on the page that like Corey Davis is probably likely a cap casualty. Again, another guy is set to make about $13 million next year. Has missed over half the games he's played here. It's he's made some big plays and he's produced some, you know, some nice moments. Majority of the moments have been him injured or uh, dropping balls again, captain. I, that's all great, but can you get some better production for $13 million a year? Probably. And then Braxton Barris is the other guy because he's paid like an all pro returner. And he had a terrible year special teams wise. And he's paid to be like their fourth option backup slot guy. And he had a really poor year. So I just can't fathom paying Corey Davis and Braxton Barris $22 million combined next year. I just think that's a, that'd be a huge mistake for a team that needs more offense. Agreed. And I think, uh, you know, Corey Davis is very much in that Carl Lawson category. It was the right move at the time, but now it's suddenly the production, the availability versus the price. Those are the easy moves to move on from, especially at a position there where you can get younger and cheaper um, seemingly every offseason. Barrios, situational role player to me. I don't pay those guys on my team unless you're super special. I think that's a replaceable piece. You can keep getting younger unless he is a cerebral FBI. I am like a quarterback in the at receiver room. I'm valuable to the cohesion of the offense. I don't know him personally. I don't know that presence. It would take a special, special guy um, to keep that guy around, but completely agree. I think it's going to look a little bit different in the receiver room next year. I think Mims is probably uh, on the way out and Corey Davis, Braxton Berrios. You want to build around, you know, Garrett Wilson, obviously, but you're going to need some countering pieces and some different styles to kind of uh, to, to pair with him. Yeah. I want to try to transition a little bit just to quickly about the draft, but it's all kind of a, I'll start with the receiver question and just in terms of obviously, you know, being around some of the stuff with the Eagles, you're around, you know, obviously the stuff with the Packers and, and both teams kind of felt like built receiver course. You know, everyone always talks about, you know, Daniel Jeremiah talks about it amongst a million other people about building your receiver room like a basketball team. And I, I know it's been mentioned on a lot of other Jets stuff too, but the Jets are a really small team height wise yeah. at, like, at the skill spots. I mean, I know sauce is huge, but DJ Reed's tiny, <laughs> Michael Carter's <laughs> tiny, Whitehead's tiny, Joyner's small, Garrett Wilson's, a normal size person, but he's not that big. Elijah Moore is tiny. I know they have big tight ends and they've got bigger running backs, but like they need to add a bigger body in this receiver room, right? Like I'm not, I don't know if it's through the draft or free agency or a trade, whatever, you know, maybe Mike Evans shakes free and the jets go all in on a title for 2023, but there's something they got to add some size here at, at both safety and receiver, right? I know the draft's got some pieces uh, potentially there. Yeah, I think it's just diversifying the receiver room is what that, you know, DJ is alluding to by building that basketball team and whatever you have, go get the other thing and find more guys that excel in different areas, whether it's an over the top guy, whether it's a size matchup guy, a yak presence, 
you know, I think finding those specialized skill sets are really important. It's tough to find a receivers that do everything, you know, and these well-rounded receivers that you can be three levels. And those, are, those guys don't grow on trees. You typically get one or maybe two on a team. Um, but I think our Garrett Wilson's a nice kind of slot presence to build around. I'd like to see a big explosive X receiver to make his life a little bit easier. Maybe another type of gadget presence like a Barrios to kind of mix in some misdirection and some yak threats on the other side, just like the way the Chiefs always like to pair uh, McCole Hardman with a Tyreek Hill. I think having, you know, countering slot presences is really important. And then this draft, you know, the receiver uh, class, as we all know, produces these guys ready to play on Sundays, you know? So I think uh, there's going to be some high level talent. doesn't seem like we have a lot of top 15 receivers like we've seen maybe in the past few years with the Devonte Smith drafts and Jamar chase. But I think right in that middle of the first round on, you're going to see a run right into day two. And there's guys that are ready to play, whether you, you want some gadgety players like a Zay flowers or a Josh downs who are gadget slot players. I can play out of the backfield, win down the field, or maybe some bigger presences like a, uh, you know, a Jonathan Mingo or a Xavier Hutchinson out of Iowa state. I think whatever you want, there's something in college football for you. Yeah, I think I've said this before. I don't know how the Jets are going to handle tackle. I think, you know, I'll get to it in a second, but obviously there's a lot of guys in this class, the Broder Jones, uh, Paris Johnson's, um, Skarnacki as well, at, you know, at 13, that can make a lot of sense if they're there, if they're there obviously. Uh, though Broder yeah. Jones scares me a little bit just because, you know, big, super athletic. The Jets ever look really cool getting off the bus with uh, Roger Jones and AVT and uh, Mekhi Becton. <laughs> let's hope we can ever, everyone will be able to stay healthy and technique-wise and be okay. Um, there's been there's already been some receiver stuff at, at 13. My question, I guess, would be like, if we're not going to, if we're going to ignore offensive line just for a second and the Jets, you know, have still holes, you know, at safety and receiver, what's maybe a better allocation of resources for a team like this? Is it grow a homegrown Tony Adams and plug and play him and hope that, you know, you get at least league average production at safety and the defense is good? Or is it we go JSN or uh, Quentin Johnson or somebody like that at receiver 13 and just go all in on offense with, you know, they get Rodgers and they go all in at receiver. Like what's a, I guess, what would be a better use of resources for a draft like this where you mentioned top 15 guys. It's not really this Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Jameson Williams draft type, type of draft class. Well, I think the Jets – still have a very strong roster heading into 2023. And I think they're going to have a really good roster heading into this draft. I think they're going to have a lot of this dust settled by the time the draft comes. We all like to say in Philly, we want to be able to play a game before the draft. And I think the Jets and Joe Banner, we know his Philly connections, believes in that kind of philosophy. And I really expect them to be ready to roll heading into draft weekend. So what does that mean? let the board fall to you. And I think he goes so many different directions and that's a good thing. I don't think you'll have a glaring need to fill. And I know some jets fans are saying left tackle the future. We need that 10 year left tackle little patience there. I think, you know, having a Dwayne Brown and figuring some things out with some backup options this year gave you a little bit of levity. You have Becton. So I think seeing where the board falls, we know the quarterbacks are going to get pushed up. We know some other teams that have major needs are going to get, you know, pushed up. You know, teams like the Texans, they're obviously going to take a quarterback, that next pick, seemingly like a receiver. So does that mean some of these tackle prospects maybe fall? Maybe there's some, one of those top corner prospects. Don't ever stop adding corner talent. I know you added a Sauce Gardner. DJ Reed was a heck of an addition coming over from San Fran. If there's a high-level corner or high-level safety there, 
I think the full board is open for the Jets, and that's a good thing. So I think, you know, it could be a Peter Skaronsky who could play a guard tackle. Broderick Jones actually reminds me a lot of Dabrikashaw Ferguson. His frame, his length, that angular frame, that tight waist, his length, he looks pretty good out there. Paris Johnson is starting to drop in some mock drafts and some projections as well. He has some tools and some things he needs to kind of clean up. His feet look like Teron Armstead. His upper half looks like a third-round pick. So he's a guy that could be sitting in the Jets' lap right there. You know, Dewan Jones out of Ohio State, he looks like Makai Becton. So if they want to hit reset on a giant tackle out there, there's a couple options. My darling of the group, Matthew Bergeron from Syracuse, I think can be like a Tristan Wirfs for a team. Really brutal run blocker. He's big. He's athletic. I think there's going to be a lot of interesting options there at 13. Not to mention, don't rule a trade out either. I think these teams with really well-built rosters like the Jets are going to be saying, come trade with us. We'll gladly take a later one and a second round because we can just add some more accent pieces to this roster. I think these are good problems to have. Yeah, that's kind of last thing I want to hit on, obviously, senior ball next week. Um, interior defensive line and, and linebacker are two positions where you got TJ Mosley there. He's an all pro. You got Quinn Williams there. They're two Jets all pros, right? They're two of their three all pros or four, I guess, if you want to include Justin Hardy. That said, Mosley is probably here for another year, two years, unless, you know, I don't know what's going to happen with this cap number. He's going to be a guy that'll probably get restructured and add some void years in and the whole nine yards. Um, obviously going to extend Quinnen. He did a great job. Shout out to his agent, uh, getting Quinnen, you know, getting him, getting him ahead of the ball and saying, I want a deal done by here. I love being here with a big smile on his face. So now all the pressure's on the jets, but we mentioned the jets have no other interior defensive linemen technically on the roster right now. Cause Sheldon Rankins, you know, a guy that I think they should bring back free agent, Nate Shepard, free agent, Thomas Thomas, free agent. Like it's, it goes on and on. And then <laughs> linebacker, Quan Alexander and Quincy Williams also free agents. So, is there any guys you're looking forward to next week at either linebacker, interior defensive line that you're like, I'd like to see this type of guy because he could be a fit, um, you know, with the Jets or just is going to be a good player in the league? Well, linebacker, the class is way down. There aren't yeah. those Roquans or Devin Whites at the top. I don't see any gems like a Fred Warner in the middle of the class. I want them to grab a hybrid safety linebacker piece, you know, maybe like a Trenton Simpson at a Clemson who's played a little bit inside, outside out there, maybe like the big rangy nickelback for Texas A&M and Antonio Johnson. I know they like Michael Carter out there, but adding just some more versatile safety with some size like that Jordan Whitehead with a little more athleticism, I think would be a great piece. But the interior defensive line, great class this year. And I think the Jets are going to certainly be looking at a number of players there at 13, whether it's, you know, Brian Brezzi out of Clemson, not a senior bowl guy, but will definitely be in the conversation at 13. There's some other guys as well with some inside-outside versatility like uh, Tui Peloto out of USC. I think Jalen Carter will probably be off the board by that point. Uh, I think we all expect that. But down at the Senior Bowl, some really interesting nose tackles, whether it's Keanu Benton out of Wisconsin, really interesting player. The wrestling background has just whooped Ohio State year in and year out against some NFL-level interior offensive linemen. He looks really good. Siaki Ika is a brick. He is a building out there. He's this year's Vita Vea. So if they want more of a heavy presence, maybe next to a Quinn and Williams, keep Quinn in at three tech, let him play on the edges of guards, get up the field, have a more, you know, a uh, complimentative uh, interior guy with him. I think Siaki Ika is a perfect type for that. And there's some guys down there are trying to make some money for themselves that have all the tools that just haven't produced like we expected on the college field, like Zach Pickens uh, at South Carolina. 
I mean, he looks a lot like Javon Kinlaw at South Carolina. He is big. He's tall. He's long. He's explosive. He just turns it on and off. And I think we see that on Saturdays from time to time, like guys like, uh, you know, Kwan Short coming out of Purdue. Every other play looked like a slug. Goes in the second round of the Panthers, and he's having four sacks in the Super Bowl for him, you know. So I think a lot of these guys, their best, best football are ahead. Interior defensive line, though, edge rusher. D-line in general, very deep class. So if the Jets want to maybe let some of those high-priced guys walk and go test the waters again like Rankins and a Lawson, plenty of options on day two, maybe early day three for instant impact players. I guess I want to finish with this quickly. Obviously, um, you know, feel free to feel free to absolve yourself from either of these questions, but is there a matchup in either of these games that you're most excited for, you know, on Championship Sunday? I feel like for me, personally, I'm excited to see how how much zone coverage the Bengals play um, and how much they do or do not blitz with Mahomes' ankle. I think, you know, Luana Ramos obviously done a really good job in the three games they've played him. But, you know, does he change it now because Mahomes is maybe less mobile? Obviously, he's an alien and somehow it's not limping at all, which makes no sense. But good for yeah. Patrick. And then, um, you know, in the Eagles-Niners game, how much, you know, how much can they keep Brock Purdy out of the way? I think is, is I know everyone's obsessed with the Brock Purdy story and that's great. Um, he wasn't very good on Sunday. If you actually watched the game, he kind of dropped interceptions and just wasn't very good. They got away with it because Dak was worse. But I think yeah. the Eagles defense against, you know, Brock Purdy and then, you know, Bengals defense against Mahomes are going to be the two matchups that I feel like kind of determine, you know, if Purdy eats the Eagles defense alive, which I don't think is going to happen. But, yeah, the Niners are probably going to win that game and, and say vice versa. If Mahomes can't produce against the Bengals defense. I trust Joe Burrow to put up at least 20, uh, 20 plus no matter where he is. Yeah, I think everybody wants to see how Luana Rumo is going to defend. You know, Mahomes out there has seemingly been giving all these elite quarterbacks trouble, forcing them to hold the ball, a lot of simulated pressure looks and changing the picture from pre to post snap. In particular, I just want to see what they do to Travis Kelsey. You have to tie one of their hands behind their back to Kansas City. So I think taking away that go-to option, and I love Mike Hilton, that nickel, that tough guy for, you know, the Bengals on the inside. I don't know if he's big enough. And I think you have to throw some multiple bodies. I think you need to bang Kelsey off the line and then funnel him into some coverage. But I am taking away Travis Kelsey and saying, hey, if, uh, you know, Kadarius Tony wants to go eight for 120 and three touchdowns on me, I dare you. You know, if, if Pacheco wants to get the rock, you know, 30 times, I dare you. But Travis Kelsey is not catching 10 in the first half like he did last week on us. Now, the other game. Nick Bosa, Nick Bosa, Nick Bosa. You know, they played last season, week two, Niners-Eagles. They left Jordan Mulata one-on-one quite a bit and in critical situations, backed up in their own end, red zone, third down. They trusted Jordan Mulata to say, lock them one-on-one. I want to see how many more times do they trust those situations. And not just Mulata, but Lane Johnson too. I think Nick Bosa one-on-one against anybody makes me sit up in my chair and say, whoa, 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 what are we doing, guys? Always have to give extra attention to him. So how many of those situations are they putting themselves in? How long does Jalen Hurts hold the ball back there as well? Same thing with Purdy. It's a number one difference between Purdy and the previous Niners quarterbacks. Similar type of skill set. Little boring, little unathletic, little bit of a weak arm. Nothing really, you know, great trait-wise. But Purdy's a dog. Purdy's going to extend the play like these other guys have it. Purdy's going to let that thing loose, for better or worse, like these guys have it has already attacked down the field more than Jimmy G, extended the play more than Jimmy G, uses legs more than Jimmy G. That's just a new dimension to have to defend. So we used to be able to say two and a half, three seconds to Jimmy G, we're good. 
Brock Purdy is going to test you into those five, six second downs. And for better or worse, we know young quarterbacks are going to make some mistakes in those situations too. So I just love seeing what's going to happen once you get out of that first three seconds. What happens to the next three seconds? And do they make big plays or does it come back to bite them? As you said, some of those play extenders last week could have been picks. You know, yeah. and I think uh, I think we all saw the Cowboys had every opportunity to knock off that team. Yeah, the, the one that hit Trey Diggs right in the chest. Uh, yeah, tough you know, one there. Come, comes right back to mind. Um, obviously, appreciate you hopping on. We'll, you know, have to do it, you know, again, if the Jets actually do uh, do acquire Rodgers and get, you know, more towards the end of free agency and, and towards the draft here. But um, if you're not following Ben on Twitter, make sure you're doing so. It's a really good follow, whether it's draft stuff, game day stuff there you know whatever you guys are covering that week um we've had the you had a jets a lot this year so uh we were up in metlife like every other week this year i feel like we're jets employees i know so you know hopefully next year obviously uh you know jets will be on uh you know get that no more no more spiritus games for the jets they're on the iron eagle uh jim nance um you know track but um you know i just wanted to uh you know obviously thank you for coming on and you know enjoy championship weekend and then we'll talk again soon I appreciate you having me on. It's an exciting time. Always willing to talk draft, talk free agency, reflect back on the season, look ahead forward, uh, working on some senior bowl coverage next week with NFL Network, and we'll be pushing ahead to the combine and uh, maybe hope to see you out in Indy, and we'll be yeah. uh, talking to some of these prospects and, uh, you know, Joe Banner, and let's figure out this offseason. <laughs> yeah, we'll, grab, uh, we'll grab, uh, grab a beer at the combine. Appreciate it, man. Take care.